Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. Hello, Ian Morris. Hello. If you're one of our patrons, not you, Ian, the listeners, then this is your extended ad-free version of this week's show. And if you're not yet a patron but would like to get our ad-free extended versions or listen and interact with us live, along with a lot of other features, head to patreon.com forward slash UK tech and you'll get instant access to our entire back catalogue of extended shows and you'll be helping us pay the bills, feed ourselves, etc, etc. Um, we didn't have any new patrons between the last show and this week, which is a uh, sad face. You can't see, but there's a little tear sort of dripping down uh, down my face that's uh, related to this fact. But hopefully next month we can up the total by one patron at least, which is uh, what our good friend over the pond, Tom Merritt, tries to do and seems to achieve. So help us achieve that same goal. That'd be fantastic. We are going to jump into the news now, headfirst. And we are going to start by talking about the fact that 3 and 02... And you know what, Ian? I've only just realised this, that we've got 02 and mm-hmm. 3. Yes. We don't have a 1 or 4, do we? Vote of <laughs> 4. Anyway, 3 and 02 have signed up to use London's Victorian Sanitation Network. That's the uh, the large network of brick-lined pipes that uh, helps our ones and twos uh, travel around the city like uh, sad stinky tourists as a conduit for data this is according to a writer in the telegraph this week the two companies are going to connect about a hundred mobile masts around soho and mayfair specifically so uh, sort of central london near the west end to fiber optic cables that will be installed in the local sewers by the telecoms arm of sse now this is obviously also in a collaboration with thames water that manages the sewerage and things like that so the new links are going to actually place connections provided by OpenReach, which is regular listeners, of course, will know is the infrastructure subsidiary of BT, uh, which is also pretty dominant in the market for connecting mobile masts anyway. Uh, and there's been a bit of a struggle to provide enough data in those particular areas for 4G and uh, and even 3G because there's just so many people and, and it's just too difficult to do. So this is um, for users of 3 and 02 in particular, which I definitely would say are the two networks that I've used that have the weakest performance in those areas uh, could see a real step up um, as a result of this. Um, and indeed, 3 and 02 have said that this is one of the um, one of the reasons. In fact, you know, Oxford Street is actually the busiest street in Europe. Yeah, I can believe that. It's a nightmare. Yeah. Absolutely terrible. The worst place uh, and, to go ever. Now, <laughs> I a, a few weeks ago, I was actually hosting a um, a conference with Theo Blackwell, who is the chief digital officer of uh, the City of London. And one of the things he was talking about was the mayor's plan to install more fiber optic cable in the London Underground network, and that was to sort of help with. Uh, with fiber optic connections to homes as as well as to increase the capacity of um, of 4G networks in and out of the tube, which is uh, really good for TfL because um, it gives them another way to make some more money off the, the pipes that they already operate. But it's just, I find it just fascinating that two of the 
ways that we are going to see increased capacity in data networks as one is by lining them through the underground network which has been there since the 19th century and another one that is used to quite literally funnel our excrement through the capital yeah and it's um it's it's going to be used for for data which is which is great right Ian this is great um i don't see why not i mean it's not a new idea they've been doing it for some time in other parts of the country um i can't remember i think it was uh, was it brighton or something like that has um long had an agreement with some one of the one of the fiber companies um that was going to you know cable new homes um what's that hyperoptic or something like that anyway um but I don't know if it's ever happened, honestly. And I mean, I'm not surprised the idea is there because sewers are usually relatively high capacity in terms of, you know, they're, they're quite big often, especially the ones in London, which, as you said, date from some time ago when everything was over-engineered rather than under-engineered. Um, but, of course, it's not without its complications either. I don't know quite how... If it was easy, it would have been done years ago. Um, and I, I understand that there's a, you know there's already a lot of cable conduits in the capital particularly. And I I remember years ago, um, my friend who works at BT telling me um, that, you you know, people often assume that if you're right by the BT tower, you'll get great broadband, you know, good, good fiber link or whatever, if you're a a broadcaster or something like that, which is obviously one of the reasons there's so many companies in the area that sort of do video. Um, But he said, actually, the reverse is true. It's so congested in that area, trying to get cables back into the the BT tower that actually it's, uh, it's kind of silly in a way there are going to be some interesting challenges one of them i wonder is the complication of these so-called fatbergs have you heard about these yes i have yes there's there was a a record-breaking one in kingston i believe just that i may be partially responsible for i think one of the biggest ones was under whitechapel and it weighed about no no that was boris johnson (laughs) <laughs> it was it was about a hundred it was over a hundred tons that this well, thing weighed. Wow. yeah there's a company it, and, that takes them and recycles them and turns them into fuel well one of them is actually on display in a museum of, oh, in, really? in, the, in the museum of london you can oh, actually go see wonderful. it I, I think it might even be the one that was under whitechapel which i i think was the biggest or, or certainly is almost the biggest and you can go and you can go and see it and it's made up of i think like toilet tissue and wet wipes and it's, it's wet wipes are a huge problem and then obviously fat um well fat and they, yeah and they congeal and, together and form a sort of an unbreakable molass of yeah it's quite it's pretty disgusting but i think that it must be it, i mean it must be a challenge to lay any cables in london because we've just got so much old infrastructure that you, you know there comes a point where you can't really dig too far without hitting you know the tube <laughs> something or, yeah or, or something and these pipes while they need a massive upgrade and overhaul they are still pipes they are still there and fiber optic cables aren't actually that thick certainly no. they're a lot they're a lot thinner than um than a fatberg so i think it's a i think it's a smart a smart move well was, presumably um, it could also be used you know if you're going to be running these cables the revenue from that can also be used um as a way of uh, you know helping maintain the network perhaps if there's people down there you know you can just do it like we'll clean the sewers as we go you know we'll make them nice and then we'll hopefully we're going to keep maintain that but it's a very complicated network there's some good videos on youtube i think of um sort of sewer exploration that sort of explains just how impressive some of that stuff under london is well Stephen uh, huxtable in the chat room points out that virgin um dug its own 
trenches and and this is and this is true they 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 did manage it and also we've had emails from listeners who have dug their own trenches we had one gentleman i forget uh, your name I'm, af- I'm afraid sir but i remember you writing in having laid your own cable from i think a virgin box or uh, one of the the fiber provider boxes uh, and laid the, the the cabling into your into your house so it, it can be done uh, but uh, we'll keep our eye on this and report back Ian was uh, extremely excited this week to find out that the UK's Conservative Party was learning a very hard lesson about the importance of basic security measures in mobile apps, weren't you, Chief? It was extremely amusing to me, I have to say. Well, users discovered this week that you could log into the party's conference app using only an attendee's email address according to a write-up on Engadget, which provided access to lots of wonderful, sensitive information. And uh, people had quite a lot of fun with this. Users entered the email addresses of, you know, senior politicians, Michael Gove, Boris Johnson being just two, and they could find their phone numbers. But in some cases, Engadget wrote, people started messing with the data and actually changed Boris Johnson's photo to a pornographic image, while another altered Gove's portrait to that of his former boss, Rupert Murdoch. Uh, This was an Australian company that had made the app called Crowdcoms and it removed the login feature um, to curb this issue. And the Conservatives had said that they are, quote, investigating the issue further. Now, I, I don't know how much investigation needs to be made. It's that if you create an authentication system that doesn't require a password, you're sort of asking for trouble, right, Ian? <laughs> yes, you are. That how does this lack of oversight even, even take place? I mean, it's so it's so basic, particularly when you're such a high-profile target as well. Well, and also, um, as, as people were pointing out on Twitter, a, a foolish way to expose yourself to the um, to investigation by the ICO and in bre- and being in breach of GDPR. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. It it, it it beggars belief that no one was able to sort of think. No one in government who'd entered their details, you know, none of the conservative politicians had gone, oh, hold on a minute, I only need an email address to modify this data. That doesn't feel very secure to me. If I no, exactly. if I, if that had happened to me, I'd been like, no, this is ridiculous. And of course, I think that a lot of them had pre-registered, perhaps not in the app, um, or something like that. So data had been taken maybe from somewhere else or something, and um, and, and then maybe they didn't realise. But even so, I mean, the people developing this app are, are going to really they're going to cop it. I would say they're going to cop it from the Conservative Party, um, and more than likely they're going to cop it legally as well. I looked up Crowdcoms while uh, Ian was just talking there, although, just so you know, Ian, I was half listening to you still. Um, and Crowdcoms had post, has posted this blog this morning uh, to say that on Saturday, 29th of September, around 10 to 2 UK time, a.m. Uh, p.m., we were made aware that some profiles were fraudulently accessed. An error meant that a third party in possession of a conference attendee's email was able, without further authentication, to potentially see data the attendee had not wished to share. The error was rectified within 30 minutes, and they say that it affected a very small proportion of attendees. Um, we will be reporting this to the ICO, that's the Information Commissioner's Office here in the UK, and reviewing and amending our data policies. We apologise unreservedly to the Conservative Party and their attendees. So, I mean, huh. good that they've they've revealed it quickly, because this is one of the things, this is the one thing that GDPR is meant to encourage, in it, which is obviously a put good practice in, into place beforehand, but also reporting it within yes. 72 hours yes, you is must, um, must you? A, 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 a provision. So well, this because you both, get fined if you don't, so it's, you know, it's a good idea. You certainly could, yeah. Um, Stephen uh, Huxtable in the chat room says it's sloppy, and to be honest, that could apply to both this 
or the previous story about uh, London's uh, sewage systems, but I think he probably And, and means... indeed the Conservative Party in general. I'm sorry, this isn't a politics podcast. It isn't, no. Let, let's just be fair for balance. All political well, yes. parties <laughs> have the capability and indeed uh, do demonstrably show they can be as sloppy as L- Labour are crap. <laughs> so, you know, and I, I have no problem with that. There is no political party for many mm-hmm. of us now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, very embarrassing, and um, it, it just goes down to, sh- to show that you know, no matter how many gigantic data breaches we have, no matter how many threats of being fined four percent of your global annual uh, turnover are threatened to you, that it is still possible to have the most basic error in your system, even though you are potentially there to protect the identities mm. of extremely prominent, important, and um, influential people. And, and, actually, and I say well, that regardless of the fact that I'm describing Boris Johnson at the end of the day. <laughs> He is an influential person, whether we like it or not. Well, having his phone number is an incre- incredibly uh, powerful tool for anyone, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, he would know because someone called him up pretending to be a Russian diplomat, I think, <laughs> and spent 20 minutes on the phone talking to him about the uh, MI, the, the poisoning investigation oh, God, a few months really ago. Hope. And if you have any wider thoughts on the political spectrum and the, uh, the hacks possible within it, do let us know. Hello at techpodcast.uk. Ian, nearly half of all British people yes. think their partner <laughs> spends too much time on his or her smartphone. Uh, you can tell it's a slow news week, ladies and gentlemen, when we talk about a survey, uh, but it has been a slow week uh, for UK tech news, so it, we're going to talk about this. John Evans in the chat room says, my wife certainly does. I would also say, John, just uh, for, for clarity, so does my wife, and I'm pretty sure if she was listening... Which, which which she is, uh, she would say, I probably do too. Yeah. Um, anyway, this uh, was according to a survey from Deloitte. They do uh, an annual mobile consumer survey, and this analyzes about just over 4,000 people between the ages of 16 and 75 in Britain. Uh, the results of this showed, and, and this was according to a Telegraph write-up that I, I saw, that 56% of parents think their children use their phone too much, which frankly I find staggeringly low. The other the other headlines here were 43% of people think their partner uses their phone too much, and about 39% of smartphone users in the UK, which is about 17 million people, think that they overuse their smartphone too much. Now, uh, as to what classes as overuse, I'll give you a couple of examples, okay. both of which are very, 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 very uh, recent. Uh, the first is, well, in fact, no, I'll give two. One that I've said before, which is if you're going down an escalator on public transport (laughs) and you see somebody in front of you holding out their phone and thumbing through their home screens, looking at apps. Now, they, they don't open the apps. They're just they can't bear to be bored for that like 10 or 15 seconds that you're on a on a on a on a walkway so it's mm. like I'll look at an app that I would load if I had any time but obviously I'm on an escalator so I don't therefore you get to the bottom of the escalator and they lock the screen and put it back in their pocket that <laughs> is overuse. Uh, second example I've mentioned before, standing at a urinal as a gentleman and using a phone, which I saw on the pub on Friday. That is a terrible what time to use uh, a phone. It the is third, a terrible time. The third example is if you're sitting in a restaurant, and I saw, th- I saw this only yesterday afternoon, Kate and I had gone for dinner before we went to a gig, and um, there was a family, and the 
who I presume was the mother and father, were both separately on their phones, and their young daughter, who looked about five or something, um, was was colouring in a picture while they waited for the food to be ordered. And I felt personally, and this is you know different for everybody, I'm sure, but I felt that that was probably not a, a great time to be to be using the phone, and, and maybe that would have been a, a nice opportunity to put the phone away. And that I'm not being trying to be judgmental. It's just you tend to go out for dinner in order to be a bit more bit more social so i thought i felt that that was probably a, a bit of overuse yep those are all um, good examples but what and, you and haven't the fourth, said the, the, well, the fourth and final no i have the fourth and final one which is something that i do that kate does and a lot of people do is you're doing something on your phone i'm just checking Maybe my phone while you're talking by the way yes um so you're, you're checking your you're doing something on your phone and then, and then you put the phone down and then because maybe you're watching something but within about 60 seconds you've picked it up again to do something else to see if anything's changed it's like that habitual like because it's sitting there yes it is a habit uh it's habitual so i think again the this the the re-picking up of that phone once you're done with it is using it too much whereas just using it as you you know while you're watching tv as a second screen i I feel i feel that that's less that's less bad than doing something putting it down and immediately having to pick it up again i don't know that's that's my 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 speech over it's your turn no, that's and that, that's all reasonable. And I noticed at what, no point there did you say that it was a, it's a certain amount of time because actually I think all your examples are, are pretty good, at least in the fact that they indicate an addiction, which is um, a, possibly a problem. Um, and we, we can all see from our phones, you know, that we're most phones either have a built-in ability to log time used or there are apps available. Um, Google has a family one that's quite good um, and obviously Apple's just put iOS 12 out which has uh, screen time Uh, it doesn't worry me so much the total amount of time used because what the way I look at it these days is that uh, the phone is replacing so much other stuff you know in you know 10 years ago if I was sitting in front of the TV I would probably um, maybe have a laptop around or something like that or, um, you know, something like that. I, I, as an example, you know, so it, it has obviously replaced laptops in front of a TV to some extent. Um, it's replaced cameras. So, you, you know, instead of looking at a camera to take a picture, you're looking at your phone. It's replaced, you know, how it's a huge part of how we communicate with each other socially. And that's not necessarily a, a bad thing. I don't... Um, uh, whilst I don't want everyone on their phones all the time, like anyone, um, I don't see the problem with uh, if you're not with somebody, uh, you know, texting or whatever. I, I, you know, I feel like that brings us close together rather than, you know, moves us apart. Um, and so that's all good stuff. But I, again, you know, it, I, I, there's so much written about how much we're, you know, using our phones and whether that's a good or a bad thing. Mostly it sort of feels like the argument is a bad thing and you know that a lot of people say oh no one talks on a train everyone's looking at their phones it's like yeah well, i mean what do you expect P- people well, don't want to that... talk to each other or, or have eye contact with each other particularly and the phone takes that away i'm very happy i'm i, I don't see any problem with people using their phones on the on the train the one that, that annoys me that i always force myself not to do just you know despite the fact that i feel the urge is when i'm getting into a lift in an elevator, and I, I pull my phone out for that. No, I always seconds. do that. Yeah, everyone, everyone seems to do. But because, I, but I, because those times are boring. This is this is when you will see people using phones as if they're bored, and I don't, I don't, I can't argue with that. Like, you know, if if you're, um, you know, sitting on a tube on your own, or if you're, you know, I don't know, you've got five minutes to kill. I meant to, I meant to meet some people the other day, um, 
and they took ages to come out. So I had to sit around waiting on my phone because what else was I going to do? Um, you know, I wasn't going to make be a conversation be, with someone. Be, be, in the, be in the moment. Yes, well, you and I did this thing, didn't we? After we'd yeah. had a skin full of beer, where oh, you said, goodness, to, you said to me, um, right, don't look at your phone while I go to the loo. And and then yeah. tell me what you noticed when you, when I got back. And I did reel off a huge amount of stuff that I'd noticed that, yeah. uh, you know, and, and, and yes, uh, there there is a definite uh, thing about that in that we are probably missing out on some quite good stuff just because we're looking at our phones. But it prompted a it prompted a conversation for you and I to have because when I when I came back from buying that beer or going to the toilet, whatever, yeah, I was you doing, took ages. It was boring. No, it wasn't. I'm only joking. It was it was actually quite illuminating. Yeah, you you spotted some mice, and then we talked about I mice did. for a little while. Uh, we found out that it turned out we found out that there was a that church that we mm-hmm. were sitting next to, and we looked up some information about that. I thought yep. that was quite interesting. Yeah, it was all interesting, and I mean, you know, I mean, you and I don't really struggle to find things to talk about. Um, no, but <laughs> no, um, and we talked about five G that night and everything like that. But yes, I mean, uh, but again, I. It's almost like that's not actually necessarily a, 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 the problem with the, the phones themselves. It's actually a problem with um, us sort of not being able to think about... Like we, we just... I suppose we just need to be entertained and we've forgotten that actually there, there is other stuff to do. And even... Even if I'm using my phone, I might actually not be using it because I might be trying to listen to the conversation happening nearby... Or whatever, but you just don't want to seem like a weirdo. The one thing phones have done is, you know, they have stopped us from being alone and sitting around. And you don't feel, I, I'm, I don't feel like. I mean, I'm older now, but when I was a, you know, twenty, I didn't necessarily feel like I would be comfortable going into a, a coffee house or a, you know, a, a, a pub on my own and just having a drink, even though that, you know, might be quite a nice thing to do. You know, some alone time is always good. Collect your thoughts, etc. Um, but with a phone, you kind of actually you you don't feel quite so like you're on your own. Um, you know, you're just someone who's sitting down and having a nice time with their phone. And people either you don't care what people think because you're looking at your phone, or people go, "Oh, he's just looking at his phone." And so it's a, it's an odd thing to bring up, but it just does. It, I suppose it's meant that we're just sort of I got almost happier to be in our own company, even if we are actually on social media or something like that. And I do, and I do agree. Like, I mean, obviously, it's it's a particular problem with kids. Um, you know, I mean, if if I let my kids have their own phones or their own tablets that they could use anytime they want, I do not believe that they would do anything else except that. I, I mean, uh, you know, my daughter's ability to play Minecraft is unrivaled in, well, I mean, probably all kids are the same, uh, but she will sit there all day. Um, and so uh, from that perspective, I am not necessarily a fan of giving kids devices. It's not that I think think it's doing them any harm particularly. In fact, um, I, I personally think my kids are better uh, when they're working together on something. So, for example, um, Bob can't really do Minecraft on his own, although he's getting very good. Um, but Izzy will help him, and then I'm like, "Well, that's great. They're communicating. Yes. They're helping each other. They're, you know, they're solving problems." I'm actually quite a big fan of that. They do the same on the Nintendo Switch with like Mario because Bob can't do some stuff, so Izzy will help him out. Um, and I, I think that's great. Obviously, then an argument occurs and people get punched, and then I have to sort no, that but, out. You know, but, but that's okay because because you're right because that's I mean that's a completely separate issue, isn't it? Because we're talking it here is. about phones too much. We're talking about it as a a single person 
experience you know doing anything with somebody else i I sort of think it doesn't matter whether it's a a tablet a phone a board game a video game a sport if you're if you're collaborating with somebody on something in person that's that's great and um and, and particularly for kids you know social skills are at risk by kids becoming so reliant on communication via um, well, via mobiles. There's a lot yeah. of interesting studies and reports about that, which we're not going to go into now because we're we're wildly at risk of jumping off topic here. Uh, <laughs> but I did want to mention a few things that have come up in the chat room while we've been uh, talking. Um, Pangolin Sandwich, or Kate, in fact, said uh, she's deleted Facebook and Twitter and has been trying to put her phone in another room when watching TV. Um, and as her husband, I can confirm that to be accurate. Well, as long as she doesn't delete Instagram and I still get my dog pictures. I, I, she's not deleted Instagram. Uh, <laughs> and John says it's quite a good idea. And he's been trying to read in bed rather than watch Netflix, which, again, is another, another, great, another great idea. Also, less blue light in your eyes at bedtime helps to promote healthy circadian rhythms still really not sure about that has there been a good study done yes really yes Mm. well i suppose i suppose it's one of those things isn't it you know you you don't think that things affect you until they do but i mean i i suppose it's because when i'm go to bed i'm usually out like a light due to exhaustion but yeah you know the other thing I wanted to mention that came up in the chat while we've been talking, John Evans mentioned that he spends two hours and 41 minutes per day on his phone and picks it up 115 times. Now, I'm presuming that he's using the uh, the new iPhone, the iOS 12 feature, screen time, to determine that. But please correct me, uh, John, if I'm incorrect there. But he asks a good question. He says, is that good or bad? Um, well, if the last seven days, because today is not a good example... Because uh, I've been playing with the kids this morning, and um, you know, and not hopefully not spending too much time on my phone. Um, averages at one hour forty five minutes per day, uh, seven hours ten of social networking. God Almighty! Well, mine um, says that I use my phone one hour twenty six minutes per day. What What are your total pickups? That's my, this is the one total, that I find very interesting. Over the last seven days, fifty seven per day. Yeah, so I'm on 102. So your yeah. rule about that is is actually probably serving you quite well there because um, I think it's, it's pickups are the thing that in a lot of cases can be completely idle um, and, you know, things where you sort of just, oh, yeah, I'll just check or just check your notifications or whatever. Well, Kate just made a very good point that I'm on my iPad all the time. Well, have you not so tied that- them together? Because you can, you can do that. You can um, set it can so you? that it, it counts all iOS devices on the account as the same, basically. Okay, so I, I, this, my iPad screen time is radically different to my phone, wildly. So I'm glad Kate pointed this out. Uh, on my iPad for the last seven days, so the same period, um, I use it for just under six hours a day. <laughs> um, in the last... In the last seven days, I've used it for four, over forty hours. That is that is nearly constant use when you're not at work. But I use it when I'm at work as well. It says productivity right. oh, okay. seven seven hours, games twelve hours, entertainment eighteen hours. Um, but some of those will be overlapped because, for example, productivity will include when I'm doing stuff for the podcast on the train, right. and I'm also usually watching something on Netflix, picture in picture. And in fact, my most used app on here says Netflix. Um, and uh, my remote desktop client is up there as well because I use that quite a lot. Uh, Reader, which is the RSS feed reader I use, is one of the top apps. So it is interesting to see this, That, um, but there's no social networking 
Oh, Tweetbot is the only social one that's showing up here. To answer the question of, you know, is that is this good or bad? Like John John says this. There's no averages that we're seeing here. There's no crowdsourced average of usage. So I, I have no idea. So maybe that's something we could crowdsource here from from listeners if you're using this feature, or, or if there's a similar feature on Android or whatever phone you use. Maybe you could. Um, you could send that in and we can we can be anonymous you can be anonymous just let us know in the email if you want to but it'd be really great to know uh, over the last 7 days what is your total usage time how many average pickups per day and what are the top 5 apps that are consuming the most time so if you're using iOS you go into settings and you go down to screen time and then click on 7 days all statistics welcome anonymous anonymity guaranteed if you wish hello at techpodcast.uk Ian it's good we've been talking about mobile devices because we are going to transition into our much anticipated long-awaited review of the iPhone 10. S. Uh, two caveats that I'd like to present here. Number one, we're not going to go on forever because we know not everybody is going to be interested in hearing about an iPhone. Uh, but the second thing is we want to try and keep this relevant to other devices. So even if you're not necessarily choosing this as a phone, uh, maybe use an Android, hopefully we can keep this broad enough um, so it will still remain interesting to everybody. But we're going to try and keep this uh, reasonably punchy. And next week, we're going to come and do just a little feature review of the, the new Apple Watch. Um, but the first thing to point out, I think, with the iPhone XS, and we're talking about the XS Max here, so the 6.5-inch screen, is that it's the most expensive iPhone yet. The version we're reviewing is the 512-gig uh, model, which costs £1,449. So let's let's talk about size to begin with, because I think you and I both have agreed that the, the, the bigger size is, is, is one of the most obvious uh, attractions. And I would say that if you've got a an iPhone uh, 7 Plus or any of the Plus models, the size is basically the same as that, except the whole of the front is a screen. There's no home button or anything yeah. else. So the actual feeling of a bigger device is even more pronounced than just having the bigger screen. There are fewer benefits than I was expecting to having a large screen, other than the fact that you can get more on a screen. Well, everything's quite a lot bigger, isn't it? Exactly. And... Everything looks fantastic. The screen quality is incredible, particularly if you're watching any HDR videos. They really do look stunning on uh, on the screen, as as um, as they did on the 10, certainly. But I was expecting with this larger model to have slightly greater numbers of multitasking options. So, for example, on the Galaxy products and, and other Android devices, you can have things like picture-in-picture -picture video um, on the iPad Pro, uh, if I will, all the iPads now, you can have picture-in-picture. -picture. You can run two apps side-by-side -side because the power of the processor supports it, and this phone is insanely powerful, has um, you know an extremely capable chip, and it could technically run two apps side-by-side, -side, but that doesn't work. And you, you can't do that on the iPhone and you can't have a, a picture running, uh, a video running picture in picture. And I think that's a missed opportunity given how much, how many pixels are available on the screen. I think these phones, even though they're big, are too small really um, for actual productivity. I'm sure some people are using them that way with Bluetooth keyboards and stuff. This phone is, in many ways, Apple's response 
to the Galaxy Note series. And the Galaxy Note 9, which was announced, I think, in August, is six has a 6.4-inch screen. This has a 6.5-inch screen. But there are a couple of massive differences between the two. One, and we've talked about this actually on a recent show, so we mm. won't go into too much depth here, but the iPhone doesn't have a stylus, whereas the um, the Galaxies have the S Pen or the Spen. And the Galaxy has a feature where you can plug in a monitor and a Bluetooth keyboard and essentially use it as a miniature little portable PC. Now, whether or not that's useful or not, the fact that it's an option at all kind of shows where these two devices differ most significantly. And the iPhone is still remaining a consumer productivity device for the masses, whereas the Note is the more productivity-focused alternative to the Galaxy S series of phones, in my opinion. And I think that it's a slight missed opportunity to not have just a few extra productivity features like split screen or picture in picture, as is present on the iPad and proven to be a very helpful addition to the software. It's it's a missed opportunity not to have that on here. I just wonder how how useful it actually is. Is, Does it vary, mate? You're you're planning meetings or something. You've got a calendar on the left, your email on the right. Or you might have two email clients, a work email and your personal email. Maybe you want to drag content from one app to another. Uh, Again, you can do that in there. You could have um, a web browser open on the right and a, a small word processor on the left. Maybe you're trying to just collate some notes or something. Maybe it's a notepad app. And you could drag link, drag links, text, images. All of that, again, you can do on the iPad. And I think you can do similar things on the galaxies as well and i just feel that this is a missed opportunity and it may be coming in a software update and it may well be to do with preserving battery life but it certainly isn't to do with preserving um pixels on the screen because it's got tons of them the most impressive feature of this phone to me aside from the the screen is the camera Mm -hmm. the 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 iphone's camera has always been uh either the best or second to best depending on um what phone google has out Exactly, because the most recent Samsungs, the most recent Pixels have been stupendous. But having used them all, I think this is the first time I would be confident saying the iPhone's camera is better than the Samsung and the Pixel equivalents. Um, That's interesting. I mean, I do, I do think it's, I do think it's good. Um, I, I'm always, it always annoys me slightly that I look at the Google Pixel photos and I'm, I, and I think actually they are really good. They're weirdly brilliant given that it's only one camera which i i just i i don't understand how google's able to do that and no one else is um, i find that quite strange and the pro i suppose the problem really is that no one's buying the pixel that isn't the phone that appeals to most people and also i think um what you've got really with this camera is a it's more about a, a well-rounded solution it's not so much that you can't I, I suppose the the Google Pixel does things that the iPhone can't, but I think that most people don't care about that. Um, I don't think a lot of, I don't think most people are using portrait mode extensively. Mm, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think I think you might be surprised. Yeah, I think maybe. that's a lot I, I think the different lighting options maybe are being less used, but I, I think you'd if you look you you'll see quite a lot of, of portrait photos yeah. being used. I've always said that the argument with camera uh, with it on any phone is it has to be you press the button the camera loads you take the picture you're done it, it i cannot be doing with settings or manual mode or anything like that i mean i even find a bit of a chore to select portrait mode on the iphone to be honest i'd i'd almost rather it didn't i mean you can, obviously can set it to go directly to portrait mode um but i'd almost rather it did it 
all the time or and saved a second copy. But I mean, obviously, there are things where that happens with HDR and stuff like that, which is phenomenal in itself. Um, the, the actual, but the quality of the pictures on this, uh, the, the, they there are, are a number of reasons why they've improved. I mean, the sensor is uh, the, the pixels in the sensor are, are, are bigger; it can capture more light, and you see this in two particularly interesting areas when they combine it with software. And the first is low light, like the low light performance on this phone is extraordinarily good particularly in terms of how little noise there is compared to previous models in low light situations normally you get um, quite a lot of grain and noise on a low light photo on an iphone and this is notably improved in my in my opinion uh, it's definitely mm. improved over the 10 and it is wildly improved over previous models part of the reason it can do that is because the the software is taking multiple exposures every time and it's it's combining them quite cleverly into an image and that is both very effective from a uh, an output perspective the, the the pictures really are fantastic but it doesn't half heat the phone up if you're using the camera a lot it's um it, it it's quite noticeable if you have the camera open for a while because it's essentially constantly taking photos and constantly analyzing a scene in order to get you the best results um the other thing that it allows you to do is um is very effective motion shots it's something apple demonstrated in a nicely choreographed scene in its presentation with a gentleman with long hair uh, splashing water out of the sea i think and i actually experimented with this the other day when my cat was jumping down from a fence and i took a photo of him jumping down and there is absolutely zero blur on him jumping so much so that you could be forgiven for thinking he was just doing a very very long stretch from the fence to the floor such was the lack of blur and and that was that was very impressive and then and video similarly i think has seen a huge improvement probably for similar reasons but the the low light performance of video is is very very impressive i was at a gig yesterday and i'm not a big fan of people who stand up taking photos and videos all the time in concerts because i think it's obnoxious um but i always do like to take you know two or three decent videos of my favorite songs just to kind of remember that i was there and the ones that i took last night the video quality given the low light scenario the fact that i was quite far back so i was using the telephoto lens is really very very impressive it's really very very good and the stereo yeah. sound recording is is very helpful too um, yeah I, I definitely think that stereo sound recording is well overdue but very good actually and it does it does really help and then obviously they give you good demos when you go to apple um and they did d demonstrate that quite nicely and it is very capable of producing a really vivid sort of stereo soundstage which is impressive yeah um okay so a couple of um, other points to finish on i know one of the ones that you complained about ian was well not so much complained about but you asked who needs 512 gigabytes of storage yeah i mean it, it's a it's a nonsense point really because they will always add more storage i mean it's it's true of samsung it's true of apple it's true of um well everyone but google actually i think and with it, the rumors suggest that the new pixel will stick with 64 and 128 gig um which i'm not surprised about because google is essentially a, a cloud storage company so it's not a surprise that they um they want people to just store everything in the cloud uh, and with Pixel, obviously, you get unlimited, uh, uncompressed photo storage, don't you, as well? So um, there's an even more an in incentive to do that. But um, I, I think 512 gigs is probably too much. I, I think that if you're going to buy one, um, then I wouldn't necessarily say that's necessary. And again, you, you know, it's, it's a huge amount of money extra for each incremental amount of storage you get. If you record 4K video 
on the iPhone at 60 frames a second, which is like the maximum quality, it's going to use almost half a gigabyte per minute. That is an awful lot. And also, even if you are uploading that into the cloud, it's got to get there in the first place. And so if you're doing this quite frequently and your internet isn't capable of uploading it and offloading it, fast enough, then you're going to really struggle. The The last point I wanted to, to make about this is something that actually one of my colleagues, Mark German at Bloomberg, raised in, um, in a newsletter he wrote recently, which is why is Apple still only including a five watt charger in the box? Uh, yeah, so this has annoyed me as well, actually, because the rumours were that they were going to switch over to a more powerful charger with a USB-C end and a lightning connector at the other, which is a cable they already produce. Mm-hmm. And I, I just that would have made absolute perfect sense. But I think there is a suggestion here that perhaps Apple is um, once again considering getting rid of that socket altogether um, because I feel like we're going towards an entirely wireless future. Well, we're going to post a few photographs on the blog that we've taken to just to illustrate the camera quality. We've been, I've posted a couple of them that we've mentioned in the in the Discord now, but check them out at techpodcast.uk if you want to see some examples. And if you've got any questions or thoughts, obviously, send them in for next week. Hello at techpodcast.uk. Let us know anything you want us to answer. Thank you to our patrons for supporting us every week. If you're not a patron, but would like to get our ad-free extended versions of this week's show, which included a deep dive into some interesting publications that Uber has made this week ahead of a big trial in London next month, then you can do so by subscribing at patreon.com forward slash UK tech and maybe help us finish a month with one more patron than we had last month. Yes, and we also love to hear your feedback. So send any comments to hello at techpodcast.uk and follow us on Twitter. It's at textmessagepod uh, to keep up to date with the most important UK technology headlines through the week. And thanks to everyone listening to us on our free ad-supported feed. If you have a minute, please leave a review on iTunes. It's the best way of supporting us without spending a penny. It is indeed. And it's quite fun that we started this show by talking about sewers and end it by saying spending a penny. Um, So from me, Nate Nate Langson. (laughs) And me, Ian Morris. We'll see you next week. I do have some trouble speaking sometimes. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.